All right, thank you guys for that. I'm excited about that class, and I hope some of you will take advantage of that opportunity uh, to prepare for what God wants to do in your marriage, to give you some tools, some things that you can use. So that starts next Sunday at 9 o'clock. Our Bible study hour is every Sunday at 9 o'clock. You can also uh, join them on Zoom. But if you can be here in person, uh, then be here at 9 o'clock. You can get some more information about that um, today. Well, this morning we are going to focus on marriage. We're going to look at um, how we can build Christ-centered marriages. Last week we started with uh, the importance of a foundation for our families and for our homes, and today we're going to focus specifically on marriage. We're going to see this morning that marriage was initiated and instituted by God. Marriage is not a man-made institution. It is not a social construct. Uh, Marriage is God's plan and God's design, and because marriage is God's plan and God's design, then God knows how to help us have thriving and flourishing marriages. If we try to do it in our own wisdom, uh, we will not thrive and flourish, but if we will follow God's design for our marriages, we can have marriages that are thriving because marriage is God's design. From the very beginning, God gave us a clear picture uh, of what marriage is called to be. Now, doesn't mean it's easy, right? Doesn't mean that, that marriage is just, you know, a spoonful of sugar all the time. Uh, marriage is hard, and it's challenging. In fact, today we're also going to look at what Jesus says is our greatest challenge or our greatest difficulty or our greatest enemy in marriage, and some of you already are thinking, I already know my greatest enemy in marriage. They're sitting right next to me. Thank you very much. But we're going to look this morning at what Jesus says and what that means for us today. And in this room, we're all over the map when it comes to marriage. There's some of us who are newly married in this room. This past Wednesday, I did pre-marriage counseling with a couple that are getting married this coming weekend. There, last week I had folks raise their hands and we've got a lot of couples that have been married for over 50 years. My grandparents are sitting right over here. They've been married for over 70 years, guys. That's a long time, yeah. We have marriages that are thriving in this room. We have marriages that are on the brink of falling apart. We've got single folks in here. We've got divorced folks in here. We've got people who are single with no intention of ever getting married. We've got people in this room who are single who, who desire to be married, or who are longing for marriage. But wherever we're at on the spectrum, uh, God has something for us today. We're going to look at um, three passages of Scripture, and there is a specific verse that is woven in all three of these passages, and it's really uh, the foundation of what marriage is. It's God's picture of marriage, and so I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read this one verse, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the message today. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, as God ordains and institutes marriage, here's what he says In fact, why don't you read it out loud with me, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Let's pray. Lord, 
Speak to us through your word today. No matter where we're at, in life and in marriage and in relationships and in singleness, thriving or struggling, Lord, speak to us through your powerful, living word today. God, do what only you can do. Make a way, as we've already prayed this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you can have a seat. Well, part of God's design for marriage is this. God designed all of humanity for deep relationship and connection. God designed all of humanity for deep relationship and connection. God didn't design us to do life alone. That's why, uh, you know, when, when somebody's put in solitary confinement, they go crazy. Think of uh, Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway, right? Stuck alone on this island, and he becomes friends with a volleyball named Wilson. And he talks to this volleyball, has conversations every day, and when he finally puts together a little raft to escape the island, Wilson is tied to the mast of the boat and he blows off into the sea and Tom Hanks literally almost jumps into the sea and sacrifices his life to save a volleyball because (laughs) humans are designed by our creator for relationship and connection. It's why this season of quarantine and isolation has been so difficult for so many people because we need relationships. We need connection. We need physical touch. It's been difficult for so many people who are living at home alone, who are feeling isolated, because God designed us for deep connection. And marriage is the ultimate expression of human connection. God designed marriage to be the ultimate expression of human connection. He designed all of humanity to need connection, but marriage is the ultimate expression of human connection because as we read just a moment ago, the two become one. I mean, there's not a lot more connectivity than than two people becoming one flesh. In fact, as Scripture talks about marriage and the first man and woman, the passage is all about connection. And here's the thing, connection requires vulnerability, We have to be open, we have to be honest, we have to be transparent if we're going to truly connect. So I want to read this passage, the full passage out of Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to listen because all of the language in this passion, in this passage, points to this need for vulnerability and connection in human relationships. Listen to what God's Word says. In verse 18, it starts, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Right? It's not, it's not good for us to be alone. I will make him a corresponding helper. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from a man So we read earlier, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. And verse 25 says, the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. 
That passage points to connection and vulnerability. It's not good for the man to be alone. He, he needs a companion, a helper. And then out of the man, God creates woman, and, and, and the man and woman together give an image of God. The man says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Verse 24, the two become one flesh. It's this picture of connection and intimacy and vulnerability. In verse five, I mean, you don't get much more vulnerable than they were both naked and felt no shame. It's this picture of vulnerability and intimacy It's God's design for marriage, and it requires vulnerability, but vulnerability is really hard, as we're going to see. But let me say a couple more things before I go on about God's design for marriage, okay? Genesis 1, verse 27 says this, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. I want to teach you a word this morning. It's a theological term. It's called complementarianism. Complementarianism, everybody say that. All right, you did pretty good. Here's what it means. The view that God designed male and female as distinct but equal expressions of his image. This word complementarianism is not like complement, but more like complete. Man and woman together uh, completely give us a picture of the image of God. Verse Genesis 1:27. God created man in his image, male and female. He created them in his image. Male and female together are an expression of God's beautiful creation. So God designed marriage for a man and a woman to complete the image of his creation. Now, we live in a culture Uh, that tells us that gender is a human, man-made social construct. That, that, you know, we just made it up so we could hold people in their place so that men could dominate culture and tell women what to do. That's what our culture wants us to believe and that our gender is fluid. We can can decide based on, you know, what we feel, uh, what we want our gender to be, and this is not God's design. It's clear in Scripture. He created them male and female in his image, both together to be a picture of his glory. Now, I don't deny that in our fallen world, there are people who struggle with gender identity. There are people in this world who struggle with identity, period, because the reality is if we try to find our identity anywhere, But in God's design for us, in Christ's love for us, we will wind up sorely disappointed. This also means that marriage is designed for a man and a woman, male and female, as a complete picture of God's design. Male and female complete each other in in God's design for creation. This means marriage is designed for a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Marriage is designed for the opposite sexes as a complete picture of God's design, not for the same sexes. It's outside of God's design. Sexual intimacy also is designed for marriage. 
designed to take place inside the bonds of marriage because sexual relationships are the most, most vulnerable relationships that we will ever experience. This is why sexual violence is such a perversion of God's design for humanity. This is why the objectification of God's creation for sexual purposes through pornography or, or prostitution or any, any way that we create someone or make someone an object for our own pleasure, that is totally antithetical to God's design for humanity because we're designed for connection, not for exploitation. The Me Too movement of the last couple of years has once again reminded us of the depravity of man that we would exploit and use power to, to make people an object for our own pleasure. This is not God's design. So you might say, look, it's none of your business. And why do you care? And why are you trying to tell everybody what to do? And I'm not. <laughs> This is not about preserving some kind of traditional view of marriage. This is about God's design for humanity. And if we try to live our lives outside of God's design for us, then, then we will not flourish the way God has designed us to flourish. He created us in his image, to bear his image. And if we try to live outside of the bounds of that, it's sin, and we will never experience God's best for us, his blessing in our life. And I, I thought as we talked about marriage today that it was important to, to talk about God's design for marriage and how that conflicts with our culture. And as we're going to continue to talk about, there's some things that, man, they might rub us the wrong way, but if we want to experience God's best for our lives, then we must submit to God's plan and design and will for our lives. And in that, there is flourishing and there is thriving and there is joy. And outside of that, we will constantly be searching for meaning and identity. So, as I said earlier, God designed marriage. His plan for marriage is the best plan for marriage. He also designed marriage to be the ultimate expression of human connection. We said this deep connection requires vulnerability, but here's the thing, because of sin, we hate vulnerability, <laughs> right? Nobody wants to be vulnerable. Nobody wants to put themselves in a position where somebody could take advantage of them, where somebody could hurt us, where somebody could manipulate us. And the reality is we have experienced hurt and manipulation and abuse and violence in relationships. It's the consequence of sin in our world. But if we're going to experience Christ-centered marriages, we have to get to a place of vulnerability in our relationships in fact, immediately after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 2, God shows up and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you guys at? And they're hiding from God, right? They, they, they no longer want to be transparent, vulnerable. They're hiding. And they finally come out and God says, did you eat the fruit? I said not to eat. And Adam goes, it's her fault. 
immediately self-preservation kicks in because of sin. And in our marriages, many times we are consumed with self-preservation and self-justification and we struggle. So here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. As we think about this idea of vulnerability and our, our desire not to be vulnerable. Matthew chapter 19 and verses three through eight, some Pharisees approached Jesus to test him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female, back to Genesis. And he also said, again, back to Genesis, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, the Pharisees said, did Moses command, why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. In other words, that was not God's design. But because of sin, we've hardened our hearts. We don't want to be vulnerable. And our relationships consist of self-preservation many times. Maybe in our most difficult moments, we see it, but the truth is, it is a reality for all of us. When Jesus talks about the hardness of our hearts in, these pass- in this passage, he's pointing to our desire to, avo- to avoid vulnerability. But we can't experience the deep love and connection that he designed us for if we won't be vulnerable. So we have this kind of catch-22. It's, it's really scary. It's really hard. I mean, think back even when you were a kid and you had a crush on somebody in the class. And you thought, should I write? Should I write them a note? Do you like me? Check yes, no, maybe. But man, that, that feeling, what if they reject me? What if they don't like me? It's hard, that idea of vulnerability. Look, parents, we even know this is true in the lives of in our relationships with our kids. What if they don't like us? And you say, oh, not me. I don't care if they like me or not. Yes, you do. Jesus says, because of the hardness of our hearts leads to broken relationships. We don't want to be vulnerable. Tim Keller was a pastor in New York City. He retired a couple years ago, but he and his wife, Kathy, wrote a book together called The Meaning of Marriage, and it's got some really great uh, stuff in it, and I want to read a quote, and again, this would be a great resource for some of you, Tim and Kathy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. He talks about love and marriage, and, and listen to what he says, to be loved but not known To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is all of our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. 
It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Right? We all want that kind of love, to be fully known and fully loved. So how do we get there in our marriages? How do we be vulnerable and fully known and fully transparent and with each other and still fully loved by each other? How do we experience the vulnerability that true love and connection requires? The kind of vulnerability that strengthens our marriage. And I know I'm saying that word a lot, vulnerability. And even as I say it, I'm like, ugh. Because, guys, we hate it. All of us. How do we experience it? We're going to look at one more passage out of Ephesians chapter 5. And again, we'll see the foundational text out of Genesis chapter 2 that we looked at earlier. But here's how it starts. Ephesians 5, 21, it says, Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. If we're going to experience the vulnerability that God designed us for to have deep relationships and therefore deeply relational, fulfilling marriages, we have to practice mutual submission. Mutual submission. This means no scorekeeping. Okay, well, if you do this, I'll do this. And because you did that, I'm going to do this. Um, how many of you guys, uh, everybody loves Raymond. You guys know that show? I mean, because everybody loves Raymond after all. But there was an episode of that show, uh, maybe you'll remember it, there was, it was about a suitcase. And uh, they came back from a trip and a suitcase got left on the landing of the stairs. And Raymond and his wife, Deborah, uh, neither of them wanted to take the suitcase up to the closet where it went. And so they would both kind of look at it and say, no, it's, She's, she should do it. He should do it. It started with some passive-aggressive comments, right? Oh, I see that suitcase is still there. Yep. And the whole show is about this suitcase. And the longer the suitcase is sitting there, the more frustrated each of them become. But neither of them wants to carry the suitcase. And by the end of the show, Deborah finally says, fine, Ray, I'll take the suitcase. And he says, no, you won't. <laughs> You're not going to be the one who took the suitcase and hold that over my head. But it's what we do, right? It's funny because it's real. I mean, not in my house, but I'm sure in somebody's house, stuff like that happens. <laughs> you didn't empty the dishwasher. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't. And if we want to have life-giving, soul-nourishing marriages, we got to stop keeping score. That's what mutual submission is about. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have expectations. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have conversations about, hey, it would really help me if you did this. But we go way beyond it would really help me if you did this to, oh, they didn't take the suitcase. They must not love me. <laughs> they don't respect me. They expect me to do everything around here. No, woo, we're off to the races, baby. Submit to one another. In reverence to Christ, how do, how do we mutually submit to one another? Well, it, it starts by not keeping score. Hey, let me ask you this. 
Do you know your spouse's greatest strengths? Because we're really good at knowing their weaknesses. Like we, we have a scorecard of that going. Right, we've got a post-it note in our mind that goes, well, didn't do that, didn't do that, never does that. But do you know your spouse's greatest strengths? I mean, because that would be a good score to keep. In fact, let me give you some homework this week. Write down your spouse's greatest strengths. Just take 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. I mean, it might take you an hour. But write them down and then go tell them. What? That's, that's a vulnerable moment. And by the way, some of you know your marriages. Some of you might be in a bad enough place, and I'm not being funny, I'm being serious, where if you did that, it would cause a fight. So let's talk later. <laughs> but when's the last time you told your spouse the things you loved about them? Maybe do that. And if it's going to lead to a fight, then maybe you need to have a bigger discussion that starts with, hey, I'm really sorry that I don't do this more often, but I really appreciate this about you. Mutual submission means not keeping score. Here's another part of mutual submission. It means that we adjust to God together, that we are both submitting to God at the same time in the same direction. Christian marriage adjusts to God together. We submit to God's will for our marriages. And when we're both submitting to God together, then we are headed in the same direction in our relationships. And so Ephesians chapter 5 gives us some areas where we can adjust to God together. Mutual submission. By the way, if your spouse sees some areas in your life that need adjustment and talks to you about them, it's probably true. Let me say this also. If your spouse thinks you need counseling and you don't, you need counseling. Because it doesn't matter because it's mutual, guys. It's together. I think we're doing fine. Well, I don't. Well, that's not a healthy marriage. Because both parties need to mutually adjust to God together. So be a little bit vulnerable, swallow your pride, and let's submit to God together. So Paul continues in Ephesians chapter five and he tells us some areas where we can adjust to God together. And here's what he says in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body and now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are, submit, are to submit to their husbands and everything. Now, man, we don't like that. But if we're gonna submit to God together, this is part of it. Let me say one other thing. This does not mean submit to an abusive relationship. If there is physical abuse or verbal abuse or emotional abuse, that doesn't mean just keep submitting to that. That grieves God's heart. 
that breaks relationships. And there needs to be some help. There needs to be an interjection. Doesn't mean you should just walk away, but it means you should get some distance and allow some people into your lives to help you navigate that trial. God can even redeem that. But when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, he doesn't mean just submit to anything and everything. By the way, the reality is there is probably abuse happening in this group of people. Most of the time, physical abuse happens from husbands to wives, and I want to say husbands. Don't think that there will not be grievous consequences for that in your life. But sometimes there's abuse from wives to husbands. And usually that's not physical abuse, but it might be emotional manipulation. And wives don't think that there won't be grievous consequences for that in your life. And we want to help you. And we want to come alongside you. And we want to strengthen you. But it will require what? Vulnerability, to be honest about the challenges that you're facing. But Paul says, if we're going to mutually submit, if we're going to adjust our lives to Christ together, then it's going to be wives submitting and honoring husbands. But he continues in verse 25, and husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, what this means is husbands, you should love your wives in a way that you would do anything, including laying down your life for her to thrive and flourish. When, when this passage talks about all that Christ did for the church, you're not gonna make your wife holy, husbands. Let me just let you off the hook on that. <laughs> He's reminding us what Christ has done for us, but in the covenant of marriage, husbands, you are to love your wife in such a way that you would do anything, even lay down your life in order to, for her to flourish and thrive. Not to hold her down or hold her back, but to help her to live out who God created her to be. In this passage, love is a verb. It's not a noun. Husbands, Love cannot be a noun in our lives. It can't be just this idea. I love you, honey. What do you want? I told you I love you. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives in action and in deed. Demonstrate your love for her. These two passages are challenging. They cause friction in the best of relationships. We might even say, that's not fair. But God knows what he's doing. And God has designed male and female as complementary reflections of his image. And in the bonds of marriage, we declare something greater than our own marriages. But it requires vulnerability and love And it's hard to be vulnerable 
And it's hard to express love sometimes, and sometimes it's hard to receive love. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, God gives us a kind of blueprint, a covenant, to help us experience that love that the Tim Keller quote, that love where we can be fully known and fully loved, we, we need a framework in order to fully understand that. So let me read another quote out of the Meaning of Marriage book. It talks about the framework, the covenant, the institution of marriage. Here, here's what Tim and Kathy Keller say. Love needs a framework of binding obligation to make it fully what it should be. A covenant relationship, it's not just an intimate, it's not just intimate despite being legal. It is a relationship that is more intimate because it is legal. This enables one to grow in breadth and depth because a covenant gives the security necessary to open one's heart and speak vulnerably and truthfully without being afraid that the other partner will walk away. Marriage is designed till death do us part so that we can fully be ourselves and know that our partner is going to fully love us and accept us. And as I'm saying that, I, I, you know, so many of us are thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> because we live in such a broken world and marriage is so easy come, easy go. And the idea of duty and commitment, that doesn't sound very romantic. But here, here's the truth. Marriage has as much to do with commitment and duty as it does love and passion. Marriage has just as much to do with duty and commitment as it does love and passion. Because when we will truly commit to each other, then we can be honest with each other. So Ephesians 5 gives us some guidelines to experience the deep connection and vulnerability of marriage and says, look, here's the, here's the guardrails, here's the guidelines, here's the blueprint, and if you'll operate within this, then you can be fully known and fully loved. That's hard. But it's what we're called to. That's why he says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's why he says, husbands, love your wives. But he continues, verse 29, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, remember that, and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime. But it's also designed to reflect God's love demonstrated through Christ's love for his church what Paul tells us at the end of this passage. And so as Christians, if we are in a Christian marriage, our marriage is not just about us. Our, our marriage declares something greater than us. Declares the love of Christ. 
It also means that our marriage relationship with our spouse is not the end-all, be-all of our life. Because without a deeply fulfilling love relationship with Christ, we'll put too much pressure on our spouse to fulfill and meet every need. If Christ is not the foundation, then we're sunk before we begin So, God designed marriage to be a reflection of his love, to reflect the intimacy and relationship that exists between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He created marriage to reveal his image through the union of male and female to complete one another as distinct but equal expressions of his glory. But that requires vulnerability, and we hate vulnerability because we've been hurt before, and nobody can hurt you like your spouse can hurt you. But if we truly want to experience thriving marriages, then we've got to get to a place of vulnerability. So how do we do that? Well, we enter into the arena (laughs) And the guardrails on the arena are mutual submission to one another and mutual submission together to God. The guardrails are husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do whatever you have to do to help her flourish and thrive. And wives, respect, honor, submit to your husbands. And your marriage is not just about you. Your marriage is a picture of the love of God for his people demonstrated through Christ's love for the church. So how do we experience this? Well, we pray for it, we prepare for it, and then we practice it. Today, I I wanna invite you to pray for it. Husbands and wives, I wanna invite you to pray together. That'll be hard for some of us. Praying together is always hard because why? It's a really vulnerable thing. Praying with somebody else, your spouse who knows all your stuff. It's really vulnerable. (laughs) But I want to invite you to pray together today. Pray that God would help you love and respect one another, mutually submit to one another, and to him, and then pray that God would allow your marriage to be an expression of his love and grace. And there are people in this room who need some help, and we wanna be here to help you. Maybe it's joining the marriage class this next Sunday. Maybe you need to talk to a a pastor or a counselor There may be somebody in this room who's experiencing some form of abuse or severe neglect and we wanna help you. Because we want our marriages to thrive and to flourish and to be expression of God's love. So let's pray for it, let's prepare for it, and then let's practice it. Um, So let's just have a time of prayer right now. Husbands and wives, I want you to pray with each other.
your spouse is not in this room, then you can pray for your spouse. If you're not married, then I would ask you to please pray for the married couples in this church. And I want you to pray that God would help you to love one another. God would help you to be vulnerable and honest with one another. There may be some areas where you need to forgive each other. <laughs> I want you to pray that God would help you to live out his design by husbands loving your wives and wives honoring and respecting your husbands. I want you to pray that God would help your marriage to be a reflection of his love for the world. As we're praying, there may be someone in here this morning. As I talk about God's love for the world, you need to know that God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you could experience the flourishing that God created you for. Life, life abundantly, Jesus Christ said. The problem is that our sin separates us from God and keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us. We don't want to be vulnerable with God. We don't want to admit our need for a savior. We want to save ourselves and do life on our own terms. But if we will submit to God, if we will call on Jesus Christ as savior and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know that my sin separates me from you. And I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die and pay the penalty for my sin to be my savior and I put my faith in Jesus as Savior, and I turn from my own way, I repent and turn to you. Scripture says that he saves us. It goes on to say that when he saves us, we become the bride of Christ, <laughs> because that is the picture. So let's pray that our marriages could reflect that. So we're gonna take one more minute. I know I went long today. I'm sorry. I'll take one more minute, finish praying, and then we'll be done. I'll come back up after one more minute because I'm going to go down here and pray with my wife. So turn my mic off. <laughs>